supposed to start our portfolio committee meeting of public enterprise. And the, the time now is 10. And I wish to take this opportunity to welcome all the members. Recording in progress. Including our invited guest and the, anybody who is a part of our session, including the staff, welcome you all. Uh, honorable members, I think we today have to get a briefing from the department, the treasury, uh, on the impediments that are, have policy effects on the department or on the state-owned entities. We also have to get the treasury. Uh, I think we all have received the presentation. Also, I think the other one is the Department of Public Enterprise uh, Secretary from, not, I mean, sorry, of the, is the Department of State and Industry Corporation. Trade, industry, and cooperation and competition. Oh, okay. Trade, industry, and cooperation. Thank you. Um, without wasting time, can we go to the apologies first? <clears throat> uh, good morning, Chair and Honorable Members and Guests. Uh, I have received apologies from members of Parliament. It's the must. Uh, Chabalala won't be able to join the meeting today. And then uh, from the departments, both the minister and the deputy minister will not be able to join us. However, the uh, senior officials within the departments are leading the presentation for both the DTI and National Treasury. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Uh, I'm just checking here also the officials that are here, okay. We, without wasting time, therefore, we, I want first to, uh, to upfrontly propose to those who will be making presentations that due to the time constraints, because today we've got a couple of activities that will be taking place in the national parliament, and some among us are supposed to be participating, some directly, uh, some through visual. Therefore, I will request that the presentations that we'll get each and every person making presentation, just take uh, 20 to 30 minutes as a maximum. Uh, so that we also give an opportunity to the members to be able to engage the presentation. 
without wasting time, I think uh, we'll have to get from the department first uh, in the absence of the minister and the deputy minister. Can the DG, if he's present, uh, to just give an overview? Uh, Chair? Hello? The National Treasury yeah. will start. Okay. They are led by Ms. Estelle Sitton. Okay. You're telling me that there is no one from the department to give an overview. I mean, from the Department of Public Enterprise before we give it to our invitees. Not necessarily, Chairperson. I think DPE, they are just here as a observers the two participating participants is dti and national treasury okay but they were supposed to say something but it's fine then let's keep wait therefore to the treasurer uh, thank you good morning uh, members of the committee uh, i am estelle Setan from the national treasury's uh, office of the chief procurement officer uh, with me this morning, I have two of my colleagues, Umeza Tokwe, as well as Leander Peterson. Uh, the other members of the OCPO is engaged in another portfolio committee for um, small business enterprises. So I will be leading the discussions and my colleagues will um, support me with any clarity or uh, any questions that the members might have. <coughs> So, um, okay, thank you, Chair. I assume that the members can see this the presentation. I will yes. go through, oh, thank you. Um, I will go through the presentation as concisely as possible. Um, the, the, we saw the, the, the presentation that the Department of Public Enterprises did to the committee. And in uh, this presentation, we are attempting to... Uh, yes. Uh, I was just... Uh, Ms. Sitin, I've made you a co-host, so you may share the presentation. It's not, it's not possible yet. Uh, let me just try that again, Chair. Because it shows on my side that it's showing. Um, let's do this. That's it. That's better. Okay. Can you see it now? Yes, ma'am. If, if I see it, I assume that everybody sees. Okay. So um, we will be attempting to answer some of these uh, challenges that they have provided us. Um, 
The first uh, challenge that, that they presented was the requirement for National Treasury to approve all contract variations or amendments in terms of instruction at three. They are saying that the approval of these variations by NT should be done away with and it, uh, as it has contributed to mark increases in irregular expenditure and some contracts that have expired due to the delays in the process, and that this has an impact on SOC's operations. Um, ultimately, the accounting authority is accountable for these transactions, whether it's supported by NT or not. Their proposal is that the responsible or the responsibility should reside with the respective SC, uh, SOC's accounting authorities and that quarterly reporting um, should be done to NT. So what we are responding this is just to, to make the committee aware of the new supply chain management instruction note number three of 2021, 2022, which came into effect on the 1st of April, which in essence repealed the old instruction of uh, 2016, 2017. And in this instruction, um, the power to approve um, procurement by other means, uh, that is deviations from inviting competitive bids, um, uh, inviting, uh, sorry, inviting bids from, uh, or deviations from in, inviting competitive bids is once again vested with accounting officers and not the relevant treasury as it was previously required. So the institutions are now required to report um, this procurement by other means to the treasury and to the Auditor General uh, if it's deviations from normal bidding processes, they need to report it within 14 days after the finalization of the procurement, as well as on expansions and variations. That would be a monthly report. And then both of these uh, requirements must be reported in the annual reports. The intention, uh, members of, of this reporting requirement, is for Treasury and EXA to immediately pick up glaring matters of non-compliance. Um, the idea is, is to provide for transparency uh, with the belief that early det detection can assist us with intervention where we see it may need um, assistance or where we, we need to intervene uh, before it goes too far. The second challenge that they uh, presented to us, again, relates to deviations from competitive bids. Um, the same uh, paragraph eight of instruction note three, where they again say the challenge is for, for when NT needs to approve uh, these deviation processes and the use of OEMs to install and maintain equipment the use of fully owned subsidiaries and the uses the use of organs of state such as the CSIR. <coughs> Their proposal was that these responsibilities should reside with the respective accounting authorities. Again, the list of deviations must be submitted to the National Treasury and quarterly reports would be submitted. 
the National Treasury's response, again, would be to refer back to the new instruction note of uh, 20, uh, instruction note three of 2020, 2021, which uh, refer the accountability back to the accounting officers to make those decisions. Um, in, in the case of the use of wholly owned subsidiaries and the use of government or other organs of states, such as the CSIR, uh, is currently in terms of the PFMA um, means that contracting for the provisions of goods and services must be in accordance with the constitution and the SEM framework, um, where these goods and services are both uh, provided by the private and the public sector, um, it is fair then to uh, to to um, it is fair then to open it to an open competitive bidding process, um, where goods and services can be provided by an organ of state only, or where there is only a single supplier in both the public and the private sector. Um, the state may depart, the state organ of state may depart from a competitive bidding process and deviate in terms of instruction note three, um, the new instruction note. There is, a, if there is sufficient justification for this deviation, and in cases, and in which case the deviation approval should then be followed and approved by the accounting authority. Organs of state may not act outside of the constitution and the legislative framework to favor government institutions or entities on the exclusive basis that they are government entities. If an organ of state has a specific mandate to provide certain goods and services, such as CETA, according to the CETA legislation, then the process uh, provided for in that institution's legislation is then followed. <coughs> the third challenge, um, members of the committee, was um, the requirement for NT to approve supplier restriction process in terms of uh, Section 74, or sorry, paragraph. 7.4 of instruction note 3 2016 uh, The challenge was that only NT can restrict suppliers and the ability of SOCs to restrict suppliers uh, who have compromised procurement systems prior to NT approval adds to timelines. The proposal is for SOCs to be able to restrict suppliers going through the SOC supplier review process and the list of restricted suppliers must be submitted to the Treasury concurrently and then give NT 14 days to object. Um, here I am referring the members to paragraph six of the instruction three of 2021 22, um, where it gives the process of restricting suppliers. And it is a process that is fair, open, transparent, and giving um, the, the supplier a chance to, to defend himself. Um, and 
of the process then to follow that in consultation with NT that the supplier will be uh, restricted or not. What we need to take into consideration here, uh, Chairperson, is that it is important for us to, to appreciate the, the impact that such a restriction will have on suppliers in that um, once restricted, they won't be able to do business <clears throat> with all other government institutions and not only with that SOC. So once um, they are restricted, the rules of natural justice needs to be complied with when limiting a supplier's right to trade to trade with government. Um, it may be that a supplier is performing very well in one government institution and for some reason not performing well with another. So if one um, SOC then restricts a supplier, it restricts that company in its entirety to do business with government. <coughs> So if we look at um, this instruction, um, it is applicable to all national, provincial, government, constitutional institutions, the PFMA schedule two and three public entities. And it was very important for us to formulate this provision in a matter that provides for a fair and transparent process uh, for the restriction and it to be endorsed on a public register. So SOCs, in conjunction with their legal services, can consider including in their tender conditions a provision uh, which then stipulates that the SOC reserves the right to reject a bid um, and or any current or future bids within the SOC where the bidder committed a corrupt or fraudulent act in competing for a particular bid or any other bid within the SOC or cancel any contract awarded to the supplier if the supplier then committed corrupt or fraudulent activities or acts during the bidding process or in the execution of the contract. <coughs> uh, the fourth um, <coughs> challenge was that the preferential procurement regulations um, only allows negotiations to achieve a market-related price. And that comes from the Triple PFA Implementation Guide, Section 1910. They say the challenge is that the, the preferential procurement regulations do not allow for competitive post-tender negotiations, which may result in organs of state paying a premium for goods and services and that historical prices that are inflated and have a huge impact on cost. SOCs um, is undertaking major savings initiatives and this will uh, lever, um, and this lever will support that. Um, so SOCs would like to be able to allow for competitive negotiations in a fair and transparent manner, negotiations, should be allowed where a market-related price has been achieved so that the SOC can achieve the most optimal price. 
and value for money. Um, they can report then on the negotiated savings and um, they want us to change or to make changes in the PPR to allow for negotiations through exemption. Chair, in this case, the triple, PFR, uh, triple PFA prescribes that awards be made based on the price and the preference points scored in accordance with the formula prescribed in the regulations. Therefore, the negotiations referred to in the PPR 2017 is directly related to the achievement of market-related prices in order to ensure that any premium which may be payable for preferential procurement as a result of the application of the preference point system is not exorbitant. So the, there is a provision in the PPRs uh, to, to negotiate prices. Furthermore, it must also be noted now that the constitutional court judgment uh, that was handed down in, on the 16th of February, declaring the PPR 2017 invalid, um, new draft preferential procurement regulations have been developed, which exclude the provision relating to negotiations um, as these now may be provided for in the policies of the institutions or in, regulated in terms of the, the PFMA prescripts. <clears throat> um, the fifth challenge also relates to the preferential procurement uh, regulations that talks to MT's approval for second cancellation of tenders. Again, here we are saying that um, with a judgment that was handed down and the new draft uh, procurement regulations that have been developed, um, which excludes this provision for the approval of second cancellations, as these may now be provided for in the institution's um, SEM policies. Another one on the preferential procurement regulations relates to bid evaluation criteria, um, where they say that the current evaluation process does not take technical competence into account, and that all suppliers who pass the minimum functionality level are scored against 9010 uh, scoring principles, and this uh, can uh, result in losses from poor performance and can be in many instances outweigh the contract value. The SOCs are proposing to develop evaluation criteria that must include third, uh, independent third parties that are not conflicted in the bid specification and evaluation committees and that SOCs are allowed a concession to apply an evaluation matrix that takes functionality into account in the final award, for example, 40% price, 40% functionality, and 20% uh, BE. In the, in the triple PFA, it states that only acceptable tenders uh, may be evaluated in terms of price and preference, and uh, that an acceptable tender is defined 
as any tender which in all respects complies with the specification Sorry for that. For that, um, that the uh, the definition of a trip, uh, of a, an acceptable tender is a tender in uh, which which complies in all respects with the specification and conditions of the tender as set out in the tender document. So therefore, competence should be tested in the specifications and conditions of the tender as set out by the SOC in their respective tender documents. In other words, it is incumbent upon the SOC to ensure that the functionality threshold is appropriately set by the SOC and suitable evaluation criteria that will achieve the result of acceptable tenders being evaluated in terms of the price and preferences that are included in the tender documents. We must also bring to the attention of the committee um, that the preference point system that are prescribed in the Act and cannot be changed by SOCs and are further, and we are further reminding the members of the Cisabunke civils case in, on the issue of adding points of full functionality to the points for price and preference. Um, in a lot of these cases, uh, Chairperson, it's more about interpretation and maybe not understanding how evaluation of functionality works. Um, but that is, that's just a general statement. With regards to um, instruction note two that talks to irregular expenditure, the irregular expenditure framework, um, the, the challenge was that condemnations must be taken to the National Treasury irrespective of the materiality or the value and that Inti makes a decision on the suitability of disciplinary consequence management uh, that is applied and it cannot be removed until Inti condones it. Um, and also the legacy of historical expenditure as a result of state capture continues to hamper the achievement of unqualified audit opinions on the annual financial statements. The proposal was to um, institute some appropriate thresholds for condemnation approvals to be within the delegation of the accounting authority and that irregular expenditure should be, should be reportable in the annual report of the SOC and not a requirement for the reporting in the annual financial statements. The impact on the balance sheet of the SOCs and the ability to, to then source financing has been detrimental to the SOCs as a, as a result. Chair, this is a, a more an accounting principle. So um, our the, um, Office of the Accountant General are the experts in this field, but their input to us 
on this specific um, challenge was that it is a legislative requirement in terms of Section 55-2B of the PFMA that states that annual reports and financial statements must include the particulars as listed in uh, subsections 1, 2, and 3, which is material losses through criminal conduct, irregular expenditure, fruitless and wasteful expenditure, as well as any criminal or disciplinary steps taken as a, consequences, as a consequence of the losses, irregular expenditure or fruitless and wasteful expenditure, as well as any losses recovered or written off. Um, subsection 1 in Treasury Regulation 28.2.1 states that these highlighted bits must be disclosed as a note to the annual financial statement of the entity. They did, however, um, relate to me that they are looking at the revision of the irregular expenditure and fruitless and wasteful expenditure prescripts. They have drafted a new framework, but uh, that still must be consulted apparently. But in the long term, they are looking at the amendment of the PFMA or Treasury regulations and to review the definitions of irregular expenditure and fruitless and wasteful expenditure to cater for minor and major transgressions. In the short term, until or, um, it is revised, SOCs have um, section 92 of the PFMA to request for exemption from these requirements. Um, they are also looking at amending the framework itself to allow for disclosure in the annual report. Um, they're looking at redefining uh, the relevant authority to condone the irregular expenditure. They're re-looking re at uh, the condemnation framework as it is currently contained in the irregular expenditure framework. And if irregular expenditure is not condoned by the relevant treasury, the accounting officer can remove that from the balance in the financial statement as is currently the provision in, um, in the current irregular expenditure framework. Um, when they do remove it though, they have to comply to certain um, elements that must, that must be adhered to as well. And the last one is the reduction of historical balances in the annual financial statements by keeping the details in the annual report. And number eight is the e-auction platform that they are requesting that systems be developed to allow for reverse auctions in line with section 217 of the constitution. Um, this is definitely something that the National Treasury is considering as part of the modernization and automation initiatives. Um, so that's not off the table. Um, then there's also number nine, the geographical set-asides or local contracts where they 
are uh, saying that the opportunity for SOCs to set aside work um, for uh, for local to site um, tenders and the community's expectation in terms of local to site opportunities for procurement and sometimes that results in industrial action and property damage. The SOCs are proposing that they must be able to identify commodities and services that qualify for local to site considerations, example, SAFCO and the procurement of milk. So in, in terms of the triple PFA, an organ of state must determine and implement their preferential procurement policy in terms of the framework set out in section two of the triple PFA. Section two states that a preference point system must be followed. Therefore, in terms of the triple PFA, there is no specific provision for set-asides based on geographic location. At the best, um, points may be awarded to enterprises based in a certain geographic location if this condition is incorporated into the tender documents as a specific goal. These goals were, however, abandoned in the PPR of 2011 in favor of the B, uh, triple BEE ratings, and that continued to, into the PPR of 2017. Um, the PPR 2017 has now been handed down in the court judgment as, as invalid, and in the new draft regulations that were drafted, um, we no longer provide for the triple BE status level of contributor as a means to score preference points, but have reverted back to the specific goals as provided for in section 22.1 of the Act uh, and locality may form part of the RDP goals as mentioned above and consequently points may be allocated for it. Um, the 10th challenge is the directive that was issued um, for publishing and closing of bids during the festive season. They are saying that this specific directive makes it procedurally unfair uh, to adv advertise, publish and close bids during the period of 16 December to 7 January. And it makes operations uh, very challenging, Ex example generation and that the directive stipulating that this is procedurally unfair will result in irregular expenditure and that they um, are proposing that they should be able to do procurement uh, where needed for operations without being irregular and define criteria for such instances. Um, we have to also make clear to the members that and this directive, or let me first say that this has always been a practice in government not to advertise over the festive season for the reason that most companies are closed over that period. But it has never been an instruction. It is not an instruction issued in terms of the PFMA section 764C. It is merely advice that is provided to um, institutions and it is because due to abuse 
of tenders being issued during this time when most companies cannot respond. Um, so again, we are saying that it's advice cautioning institutions that by advertising over that period, they may be breaching um, one of the pillars of the five uh, that the constitution requires. So procurement over the festive season must, be, must abide by these principles of the constitution. It must be noted that the institution may invite tenders over this period, but the decision to do so must be justifiable and not due to poor planning or failure to implement the procurement plans um, because procurement activities and procurement plans do get um, planned a year in advance. So they would be able to plan for tenders and uh, over that period of time. The second last um, challenge uh, chairperson is the use of the central supplier database. Um, the SOCs are saying that the information is not verified and therefore the SOCs must still verify the information and that the CSD, that the, the products or services listed in the CSD do not match the requirements uh, for technical nature of the business and that verification must still be done per transaction. Um, the SOCs propose that, that they maintain their own internal supplier database where the prerequisite supplier checks and verifications are done for the stated products that suppliers can offer and allow sourcing of critical components for a closed supplier list of pre-approved suppliers. Um, the database will be maintained by the SOC and the suppliers can apply for registration at any point. And that the database can be subjected to NTE's verification at any point in time. So the, the, the main purpose or the main reason why the CSD was implemented was to simplify doing business with the state and to reduce the administrative compliance burden for both suppliers and, and the buyers. Um, the central supplier database is not there to verify skills and capabilities. It verifies administrative compliance, such, such as tax status, uh, BE uh, e, um, uh, ratings. Um, it contains uh, the banking details of suppliers, and it is not there to take away the function of the department or the SOC to still look at the due diligence and the technical the technical aspects of the supplier's um, capabilities. So again, it comes back to how the technical specifications are written and it must be written in such a way that the selection criteria should be based on specific requirements for the bid and in order to then attract the most appropriate um, suppliers um, from, from the services that you want to, 
that you want to bid for. The other thing is that if it is critical components, there are procurement methods that can be employed like the establishment of panels of service providers through an open tender process for a period of time where you have then a panel of service providers that can be contacted and um, can immediately then service your work that you need to have done. Um, to the last, the last challenge would be the definition of emergency as per instruction note three of 2016-17. They say that the definition of emergency procurement does not cover the real situations of operational contingencies, such as the breakdown of power, of power units or locomotives resulting in production losses, security and supply, or loss of income, and that they want uh, a SOC definition of emergency procurement to be agreed upon, and that the accounting authority of the SOC should have the authority to do emergency procurement based on the wider definition of em emergency to include the threat to security of supply. And again, Chair, this is, this is a definition that had to be written in the wider context because it is impossible to write an emergency definition in terms of a particular organ of states' procurement activities and their mandate that they need to deliver on. So it then becomes incumbent upon the accounting authority to, to determine what in their situation and their institution will constitute an emergency and to determine the parameters in which emergency procurement may then be undertaken and then the proper delegation of authority to approve such uh, emergency procurements. So this is something that can sorry. be included. Yes, yeah, Can you try to summarize because i'm looking at the time yes this is the thanks yeah. this is the last slide thank you okay um it is important then for accounting officers to consider the nature of the commodities they procure as well as the service delivery objectives to ensure that it adequately provides for emergency procurement and that in this this emergency procurement should not be used uh, for induced emergency or self-inflicted emergency as a result of poor planning and their uh, procurement activities um, and the risks which may materialize when implementing their strategic objectives. So, Chair, that is the 12 um, legislative challenges that they pose to us. And within our current legislative framework, as well as um, any new ones, we have tried to answer most of the proposals. And I think to a large extent, it was covered by the repealing of the old instruction note three um, and the issuance of the new instruction note three, as well as the new triple PFA regulations that has been uh, sent out for comment and is currently being considered. Um, thank you, Chair. I will 
we will take questions now. Okay, you just hold on. We will give the Department of Trade and Industry competition to make the presentation and then so that we engage both the reports at the same time. Uh, can you just hold there? Um, can we go to the Department of Trade and Industry competition to make their presentation? Uh, good morning, Honourable uh, Chair, and good morning to, to all of the Honourable Members, um, uh, colleagues, and uh, uh, everyone on the um, platform. Um, Honourable Chair, thank you so much for inviting the DTIC to, um, to be part of this discussion. Um, as uh, Honourable Members will know, um, localization and the use of state procurement as a industrial policy tool is um, something that is um, really fundamental to our economic policy. Um, Honorable Chair, if I can introduce the delegation from DTIC, um, we've got Dr. Tabojo Makube, who's our Chief Director Industrial Procurement. We've got uh, Ms. Tandi Pele, who's our Chief Director for Capital Equipment and um, uh, Metals. Uh, we've got uh, the COO of our Industrial and uh, Competitiveness uh, Division, uh, Ms., uh, sorry, Dr. Annalyn Chetty. Uh, we've got Mahendra Shanmugan, uh, who is our Director, uh, Primary Metals and Construction at the Department. Um, we have Siraj uh, Naidu and uh, Tsolo uh, Mushi from our Ministry. And uh, we also have um, Mr. Jacob Mafuta, who is from our um, broad-based Black Economic Empowerment Unit. So we have a, um, a full delegation, uh, Honorable Chair, um, which would cover both the industrial policy side, uh, the, uh, the potential for state procurement to be used for industrial policy um, uh, objectives, um, as well as colleagues who are in the sectors that are directly affected um, by the decisions of SOCs. Um, Honorable Chair, with your I'm losing you. I'm losing you. Maybe it's because they were putting these lights on the can you come? Uh, I think we have lost here. We have lost Mr. Stephen Hannibal. Um, yes. Yes. Um, my name is Tabucho Makube. Um, in the absence of Mr. Hannibal, who was um, introducing the team, I think he was about to announce that um, the person who will be making the presentation. So without any waste of time, um, I'm requesting that you know uh, we proceed and he will join uh, when he's available. Okay, go ahead, sir. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, good morning, Chair and, and honorable members, including uh, colleagues. Um, the, the presentation of the DTIC will 
you know, try to then advance the the debate on what is the sorry the 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 issue. Um, we'll focus more on the on the you know our role in the whole preferential procurement uh, policy um, debate. The DTIC in the main it's responsible for um, localization or the implementation of the local content policy, stroke industrialization, uh, as well as the triple BE uh, policy. So our our um, presentation today will focus on those uh, issues and including the challenges faced by um, Transnet and ESCOM in, in, in particular. So the the reason why we we play a role in in the um, public procurement um, arena is that um, government expenditure as a percentage of GDP is critical. So in South Africa, it's about um, you know 21, 22% depending on a particular year. So if we then look at what we spend on uh, goods and services and we take out the, the, the money that we spend on, on the wages, we come to on average 15% on government expenditure that is spent on goods and services and that is procurement. And we are of the view that we can strategically um, utilize that expenditure to support economic restructuring and recovery, uh, which emphasizes on on industrialization through localization. It, it the the economic reconstruction and reco- recovery plan also um, attempts to reduce the the proportion of imports uh, of goods and services in South Africa. It it focuses on the improvement of uh, the efficiencies by local producers uh, so that they can you know competitively participate in the global market through um, exports. So looking then at the, the government procurement levers that we have um, in, in, in achieving our, our industrialization goals, we, we, we have the National Industrial Participation Program, which is currently being applied um, at um, ESCOM as well as uh, Transnet. Um, it was used in the past um, mainly to support uh, the aerospace industry. Uh, as you know, the NIP, it's applicable where our imported content is, is 10 million US dollars or above. So, and it's mostly focused on the goods which we don't manufacture in South Africa. So for instance, if we buy a fleet of aircraft, or you lease a fleet of, of aircraft by, by SAA. So we don't manufacture commercial aircraft at that scale in South Africa. So we are applying uh, NIP uh, and you know global companies like Airbus and Boeing were then implementing NIP and including some of the projects uh, done by Denel and AMSCO, um, where you know when we procure uh, vessels. We then apply, you know, these levers, including NIP. We do have DIP as well, which is managed by AMSCO, 
and the financial threshold there is about two million US dollars. So anything from uh, ten million and above, we jointly uh, manage with with AMSCO. So it becomes both NIP and and DIP. And as I've said, we do have vessels uh, which we are currently manufacturing on behalf of the army, and we are applying this uh, procurement levers. So the competitive supply development program was um, applied by GPE, but as I think in 2020, there was a directive from Minister Gordon that um, ESCOM and, and Transnet must cease to implement the CSDP and implement NIP. So that's why I've said that uh, initially that we do have projects now that we are registering under NIP and mainly coming from um, um, ESCOM uh, and also the the projects now with the maintenance of Uber, we do have um, projects which we have registered under under TIP, no sorry under under NIP, and so designation and and local content local production. I'll talk later about the the challenges that has been brought about by the judgment in in the constitutional court judgment which has declared the preferential procurement regulations invalid, but those regulations were empowering provisions legal for the for us as government to then implement localization or local content stroke designation in some of the products which are procured by by the government. Uh, we also have RIP, which is the renewable energy where we are also applying uh, localization measures, as you know, we have a special purpose vehicles or the op, the the IPP office, which is managing mostly the RIP uh, projects. But what we are seeing is that municipalities, um, especially metros, will be also playing big in this space. So there'll be a procurement of new technologies to support, you know, the green uh, economy. So you know, we, we, we have a choice as government whether we'll rely more on imports or support uh, our own um, um, companies to play a role in the, in the renewable energy space. We also have the local procurement accord at NEDLEC um, because most of the levers that are applicable in government, uh, you'll find that um, private sector is not uh, obliged legally so uh, to implement some of the measures. So we have agreed at NEDLEC that, you know, through the local procurement accord, uh, business, labor, and government have committed themselves to buy um, locally manufactured products. Um, what we have seen uh, also is that through the ESCOM and Transnet, they've committed uh, themselves uh, through their policy positions that they will support uh, industrialization and, and localization. So see there that there is a, a roadmap issued by ESCOM in 2019 and also through the, the integrated report in 2021 where um, ESCOM has committed itself to, to buy locally uh, manufactured products um, including uh, Transnet which is it's it's gone further to even indicate that you know it will implement the enterprise and supply development programs as part of uh, developing um, emerging um, suppliers because that is uh, key. Now the the legislative uh, 
requirements uh, governing public procurement in South Africa, um, we we go back to the the constitution because that's the supreme or the apex law in 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 the country. And two and seven is basically the section dealing with public procurement. And the first one, two two one seven one, it it addresses the cardinal principles of procurement, which is fairness, equity, transparency competitiveness and cost effectiveness. Um, the view is that this might seem simplistic, but we know that in reality they are not. You know, um, companies collude uh, in their bids and thus making um, their tenders uh, less competitive. You know? So it means from a context of public procurement, that is not only anti-competitive, but it's also unconstitutional because the constitution requires procurement to be competitive and also it's not only the bidders we have also seen that some of the specifications uh, can be written in a manner that it's it affects uh, competition and and transparency so those are, uh, are other issues that we have to deal with uh, but section 2172 also requires that organs of state, um, you know, when they procure, they must develop their procurement policies, one uh, requiring for categories of preference in the allocation of contracts. And number two is about the advancements of persons um, disadvantaged by unfair discrimination. So that is taken to be uh, black people. So those are the constitutional requirements. We need to have preference in the allocation of contracts and advancements of people. Uh, so section 2173 requires that there must be a, a, a national legislation which prescribes um, the, for the advancement or the achievement of, of the categories of preference and also the advancements of people. So, and that is the triple PFA, uh, um, which also, so covers that, but since the judgment, um, you know, we 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 have seen that um, organs of states, including ESCOM and Transnet, have approached the national treasury to be exempted from the the triple PFA in order to use their own policies to to then develop. Um, their procurement policies and, and, you know, procure goods and services. So what it means is that the organs of state, um, including ESCOM and Transnet, um, have been exempted from the triple PFA. So in essence, we have the constitution, the triple PFA, and this exemptions. So um, if, if then the organs of state have been exempted from the triple PFA, the the legislation that is available is the constitution and the constitution is very clear on what needs to be done around preference and the advancement of people you, you no organ of state legally can be exempted from the constitution so we have to implement the constitutional requirement it can be exempted from um, uh, the other statutes but not the constitution because we are um, all of us, um, um, you know, 
um, organs of state, so being created by the by by the statutes as well. So what we have seen then is that organs of state have particularly Transnet have developed their own um, policies, you know, uh, based the SCM policies. Transnet uh, ESCOM has indicated as well that that is the route that it will be taking. Now, from a macro um, economic point of view, is it, it, this might facilitate um, procurement to happen. Uh, but the issue is that you know the, 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 there is a danger that we might not have uh, uniformity and conformity in the application of of the SCM policies. So it depends on what a particular organ of state will be doing. So that is the challenge. And also, if you deal with industrialization, industrialization and manufacturing, they're about scale. You know, it's about economies of scale. So if we have this fragmentation in the application of the of the procurement policy in the country, then we are going to be affected uh, to support in using public procurement to support um, um, industrial development. So that that we need to, um, you know, take into consideration. So this slide is more or less. Um, you know, just indicating what I've said, that especially the, the last bullet point there, that, um, you know, now the both ESCOM and Transnet, they can use their own SDM policies. And it depends on, on, on the, what the board approves or not, you know, um, and they've been given this exemption. So we don't have the legislative um, lever that we can say, um, whether um, Transnet or ESCOM are doing the right thing or not. Uh, currently, as we are sitting here, we the legislative mandate it's it's lacking. So what we have been we we know that as we are implementing uh, industrial policy, we rely on various instruments um, which I'm, are shown there. But the focus for today is on local it's on local procurement. And the reason why we link uh, local content and industrial policy objectives is that we want to leverage the public expenditure for capital expenditure as well as, as uh, operational expenditure. We want to support local uh, manufacturing capacity. Um, it's good economically because we'll be expanding the tech space, uh, which is good for the fiscals. Uh, there are other multipliers who also employ uh, people. We want to support innovation and technological development, create jobs, boost exports, and, and support broader economic, economic empowerment and through the creation of black industrialists because transformation is also key uh, in, in public uh, expenditure. It is a constitutional mandate. Um, so this is just to show you what we have done through the, the preferential um, procurement regulations. Since 2011, we have been able to designate certain products. We started the first one, you can see the third column there in 2012. So the first seven products um, that in 2012, we've been able to issue the instruction notes. So and over the years, we have added um, certain products for local production. 
Um, and the last one being cement, and it was designated uh, in November last year. So if you interpret the law and the judgment, all these products are now out um, because the view uh, and treasury has approached the constitutional court to clarify the judgment. What we are seeing from other organs of states that are indicating that because of the judgment, they are dropping uh, the procurement of these products as part of a legislative requirement. And our view is that that is the wrong interpretation of the judgment. Um, the judgment didn't say that you cannot buy lo locally manufactured product. It said the instrument, which was the preferential procurement regulation, was not appropriate. Organs of state can use their own preferential procurement policies to still continue buying locally manufactured products. But now the challenges I've set, others have been exempted from the triple PFA. There's no conformity. There is no uniformity in the application and the support of these products. So, but we are engaging um, some organs of state. So in the transport sector, which is key for rail, uh, the autos, the ships, and the aerospace. So South Africa, it's uh, because of mainly because of our autos program, our importation of transport equipment is relatively high. Uh, so localization was put in place to stop or to limit this kind of importation, particularly in the rail sector. As we know that, you know, our organs of state um, in this sector, Transnet, Prasa, as well as the Houtrain, um, they are buying rolling stock and some components. Now, without the, the support for localization, will be relying more on imports. Uh, and those imports are displacing some of the manufacturers in, in the country. Now we are in a very difficult situation in the absence of legislation, but then we have to go to the board in those entities to try and convince them that this is the right thing to do. Um, but if they don't do that, then we are going to perpetuate the economic challenges that we are having in the country. So it is important that we have the legislation that will then direct the organs of state uh, to, to, you know, as they buy the, the, the vessels and so forth to implement local content. So I'm just showing you what we have been doing in, in minimizing the importation of transport equipment. Um, there was an issue raised in the presentation by uh, DPE that these local content measures sometimes are difficult to be reached by um, local manufacturers. So what we have done in all the instruction notes or the circulars issued by the National Treasury, there is a section dealing with exemptions where a designated product cannot be manufactured in South Africa. We do grant uh, exemptions. And some of the exemptions are based on the specifications, design standards, materials, uh, technological choices, um, and, and other factors. So, and we are mindful that some of the, you know, standards and specifications can be abused in order to drive for an exemption. We have had situations where, you know, uh, organs of state will use foreign 
um, standards, you know, to to prescribe um, in their tenders the kind of materials that they want, and therefore certain bidders will come to us on to, to request for an exemption, uh, and we 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 review each and every application. If the material is available in the country, we don't grant uh, that exemption. But if it's not available, uh, we are obliged by law then to then grant an exemption. So embedded in our localization uh, program is, is, is the exemption process, you know, to make sure that we don't delay service delivery. So I just wanted to um, raise that. Um, so, yeah. This slide also shows that you know specifications sometimes are, are abused, and in certain instances, they specify specific brands, meaning that we are um, invariably, um, you know, favoring one particular um, service provider. You know, and also the 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 lead time in which to come to the market. Sometimes we see organs of they, they delay to advertise and also to adjudicate tenders. In certain instances, by the time they come to the market, it's on an agent basis and they want exemptions from the procurement levers. So that is it's a challenge which we, we are requesting for an intervention so that, you know, the, the, we, we are able to organs of state to issue uh, the demand plan so that the, the industry out there can prepare themselves for the tenders which are forthcoming. The other issue is the performance bond, you know, and this affects mostly emerging suppliers because some of the, the, the performance bonds needed to for guarantees are highly inflated. And as a result, um, mostly PE companies are unable to raise the funds for performance bonds, which creates a problem. Um, yeah, the, the the I've spoken about the plans and the agent pro, uh, procurement, which sometimes um, it, it it it's unfair uh, in the market because we are also being asked to grant for exemption because it's everything. Most of the things are agent, and it's an area which we, as we are developing uh, procurement policies. We have to seriously look at this matter. Um, with regard to ESCOM, obviously there are other uh, related issues which are not necessarily procurement related. The, the pricing agreements by the energy intensive users. Um, so our view is that it should not necessarily support particular companies, but it should be industry-wide uh, because the energy prices and reliability affect um, affect um, industrialization in, in South Africa. There is another issue around crime. Uh, um, we are working with SARS and also law enforcement officers to deal with uh, economic sabotage, as particularly the stealing of cables and so forth, uh, which affects the reliability of supply. And also there are uh, web teams looking at the scrap metals, the export of scrap, which um, um, it's directly linked to, to economic sabotage, uh, particularly the stealing of, of cables. Um, for Transnet, it's also about rail, uh, freight rail. 
Um, there is now an indication that there's going to be private sector participation. Now, the challenge will, is that, you know, is the private sector going to be subjected to the same uh, um, preferential procurement legislation, you know, because um, if we have then Transnet, which is subjected to to localization requirements and some of the the private players are not subjected to the same market condition. That has been raised as an issue, which, you know, as we are reforming uh, procurement, we have to consider the um, container ports, the issue of technology, uh, the ports generally are a problem in terms of the costs and service delivery there. Uh, we are working with DPE, with Transnet on, on around uh, making sure that the cost of doing business around the ports is it's, it's minimized. And broadly also, it's about um, localization of the rail tracks, uh, locomotives, um, um, the rolling stock manufacturing. We are having ongoing discussions with, with ESCO, not sorry, with Transnet, um, given the, the changes in the legislative uh, environment regarding public procurement. And lastly, it's there, it's about the scrap metal, um, which is the same, more or less same problem, which ESCOM is also facing around the rail tracks, which are being stolen. Um, so we are engaging with, with the organs of state as I've um, indicated. We have engaged this week with Transnet. Uh, we are going to have other meetings we are engaging again with with ESCOM, you know, on both NIP and and local content, in the absence of the empowering legislative um, provisions. So what we are requesting from the the committee is that you know we we must have a broader view of what the judgment is all about. Um, it's very clear the judgment it was mainly on it on the ultra virus case that the minister um really extended his powers by regulating on the issues of preferential procurement but that does not necessarily mean that uh, the support for for um localization and industrialization falls off we we asking the portfolio committee broadly, uh, including other committees to grant, um, provide direction that, you know, we allow us as government, including working with the national treasurer to consider um, other um, legal avenues to support uh, local content and triple BE um, um, policies. Those are, are constitutional mandates, you know, the issue of preference, um, you can grant preference on, on industrial development, on economic development, on rural development. So it's, it's an issue that we still have to define as government, as what the constitution requires us to do. Um, and also, we, we, it is important that you know, we work together as, as with the National Treasury, uh, including DPE, so that we engage other organs of state in implementing the the government policy objectives as well as the constitutional um, requirements. Thank you, Chair.
thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, uh, honorable members. Those are the two presentation we got. Uh, I will rather suggest that we start as accordingly, but uh, I will just ask uh, honorable members to check if is because I'm anticipating a serious challenge with my uh, gadget. Can somebody in the meantime, um, because I do, I can suggest one person to just continue sharing while I'm still dealing with those uh, problems that I'm having. Can I ask the Honorable Kumede to take the questions uh, according to the list of all members uh, so that every member can get an opportunity to to, 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 to seek clarity or ask questions or perhaps comment uh, all of the members while I'm still dealing with my situation here. Honorable Kumede? Chair? Hello, Chair? Yes, I hear you. Yes. Uh, if procedurally that is uh, accepted, yes, I may fill in the gap. Uh, I, I will request the Sang to guide us on the or, or on these aspects so that we don't leave any gap, which in fact may begin to nullify the, the, the meeting. May I request through you, Chair, whilst we are still there, that the Sang guides us that is that appropriate that uh, as you have nominated uh, I, I continue sharing yeah you, you, we can get that uh, from the song but according to the rules the committee which is the portfolio committee can nominate a person among ourselves but uh, when the person is to chair the entire meeting but I don't know if a person is going to take just uh, half of or just few minutes of the time, and then I'll be back to continue chairing. But uh, if the members feel that they have the right to elect somebody, they can do that. Hi, uh, Mr. Gumede. Yes, chair. No, oh, sorry, uh, sir. Uh, the the arrangement is procedural. The chair can uh, nominate somebody to uh, 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 continue with the chairing while he's not he's still in the meeting, but he's not is busy with something else. So unlike if the meeting started and the chair was not here, we would have elected the person to to chair. So you procedurally were correct. You may continue. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, thank you very thank much. You. Uh, thank you very much, chair. Um, I hope the boats won't be bigger than uh, perhaps uh, my size. Um, and thank you very much for the two presentations that have been given to the committee. Uh, they leave much really to be uh, desired. But uh, may I comment, members, that I've seen the participants We've got 50 participants, and unfortunately, we've got only nine members of the committee. 
so the rest it's uh, could be that uh, there are some other members i know others are simply alternate the attendance other than those that are not well i heard that she, the, she, the whip is not well but we may try and get the mechanism that members do attend uh, my second comment is this is a very uh, important uh, engagement uh, in fact it does not require from my own understanding a one to two hour engagement or engagements it, it requires a little bit longer because it talks about the issues of procurement localization and industrialization and the, the other factor that is in fact uh, weakening weakening us is that at times documents are coming very late and we don't read to internalize and ask penetrating questions uh, we just read and browse uh, the document and the times don't ask the telling questions but i'm hoping that since the pp the triple pfa is about to be finalized i'm hoping when it is finalized and approved we will once again have the engagement of this nature um, i will then ask members to uh, ask questions uh, I will call, I will go according to this order because these are the members that one can see on the screen. Uh, I'll afford uh, Honorable Mkwanazi the first opportunity, followed by Honorable Kachalia. Uh, then it will be uh, Honorable Damini. Uh, comes Maote, comes uh, Honorable uh, Piri, comes Honorable Isaac. Uh, I'm not sure whether Komane is present or not present. Chair, Honorable Chair, sorry to disrupt. I, I requested not to be given a chance to question due to my condition. Chair, I check your WhatsApp. Thanks. No, you'll simply say pass. That's that's understood. But I, I, mine is to accommodate each and everyone. I did not unfortunately get that message. But anyway, now I understand that uh, you may not be available to participate. But if other members are not part are participating, they may simply say pass or covered or whichever matter that a member may raise. And then the last person will be uh, Malinga. I've seen Malinga is present. And then we conclude it that way. So may I then afford uh, Honorable Mkwanazi? Yes, don't omit me. I will be one of the people to ask questions. Oh, we are Put present. me on the list. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, I will then. I will then put... Uh, Malinga after Honorable Maudwe and then put you after Komane if Komane is present not unless uh, if, she, if she is not present you then come after Honorable Isaac right 
but I'll still remind you. Okay, may I then, uh, Honorable Mkwanazi, shoot. Uh, thanks, Chairperson. Uh, Please allow me not to open my video. Chairperson, uh, I want to take from what you have started with uh, to say, I think, uh, okay, firstly, let me uh, acknowledge and, and, and accept and welcome the presentations. And I want to um, to follow to follow on what we have started with in your remarks to say, uh, let's make this presentation as an ongoing um, discussions uh, in our portfolio committee, uh, solely because they are very important. Uh, secondly, maybe uh, part of it is the late arrival of some documents. Uh, but um, uh, uh, more for me, uh, a chairperson, is that. We've been, as the portfolio committee, um, discussing the issue of 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 this um, a procurement uh, for for a long time. But Jay, I want to check with. Um, I didn't see uh, whether the DPE is 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 present, but um, I will I will shoot anyway. Uh, but I want to understand, especially on the denial side. Uh, that uh, has uh, as the DPE uh, having an engagement, especially with the National Treasury, uh, on the issue of 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 of, of a tenel, of of the issue of a tenel, uh, issue because I think in our last meeting and in our in our oversight. Um, um uh, uh uh a period we 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 as a committee we really emphasize uh, on that matter i want to check the progress uh, around around that matter uh, lastly for me chair from from the last meeting when we were in the in the meeting with the dpe uh, in our oversight in the dpe offices we did discuss the issue of the lesson learned and the issue of the um, proactive uh, strategic plan going forward uh, in dealing with uh, all SOEs, SOEs that especially that are within the portfolio of DPE. So I want to check uh, through these requirements of the PFMA uh, what DPE assisting a transnet and ESCOM and also Daniel, especially on the issue of re reinforcing some of the uh, of the finances or some of the of the conditions or some of the assistance uh, from the DPE. Uh, that will be, that will be all for me, uh, Chairperson. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Mkwanazi. Let's go to Honorable Kachalia. Thank you, Chair. Uh, Chair, National Treasury's proposals uh, within the current framework uh, aim to ameliorate impediments and as such are welcome. Uh, mindful of these and the need to, uh, to comply constitutionally particularly in view of the recent constitutional court uh, judgment and in view of the fact that we are facing a crisis at ESCOM 
and a looming one at Transnet. Number one, should we not investigate reliance on the Companies Act versus the PFMA also to cover increasing private sector involvement, which is aimed to assist these SOEs to re-emerge sustainably? Two, should SOEs not procure as the constitution lays out in accordance with the, the principles of fairness, equitability, transparency, competitiveness, competitiveness and cost uh, uh, effectiveness alone. This requires clarity as to what can be included and excluded. This is a very important point, which I don't think we are addressing fully here. And would, and thirdly, would this not require a revision of the bid criteria to reflect this, particularly the BE component, which has created many cost and operational issues, to put it mildly, by cross-application of BE and competency and cost-effectiveness issues. Now, with regard to the DTIC's presentation, localization and industrialization are government policies, their wisdom aside, they seek in terms of procurement to advance developmental policies in key, uh, uh, in, in these key and seriously challenged SOEs that are, that are currently, as I said, in crisis mode. So the question is, surely we should be addressing the current issues and, and needs and requirements that are needed to stabilize these entities, particularly ESCOM and Transnet, and then revisit these policies uh, and the applicability thereof, uh, it will also provide us time, will it not, for the, for the provision of data as to how industrialization and localization has fared and what the pertinent options are to sustainably provide public goods and ensure that SOEs are stable and profitable in the first instance, without which they will continue to be a drain on the fiscus and require massive out, uh, ongoing bailouts that in itself uh, will negate uh, the policy imperatives that the DIC, DTIC uh, uh, is positive. Now, finally, cutting across both of these, whatever happens, we have to comply with the constitution. That is a fact and, and the court's findings. And it is clear that there are divergent views on the judgment and its application. Therefore, I'm requesting, can we have a legal opinion on the implications of the constitutional court's findings so that we can be clear on what is required constitutionally with specific reference to procurement, section 2172 to section 2173 and other gray areas, insofar as they are bound to comply, as I've said, with the requirements of fairness, equitability, transparency, competitiveness, and cost effectiveness. Nothing else is mentioned. Those are the only ones that are mentioned. Any failure to do this may open us to legal contestation. Uh, and yeah, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much.
Thank you, Honorable Kachalia. The next person, please. Uh, thanks, Chair. Uh, morning, colleagues. Uh, this is one of the rare occasions where I, I, I find myself having to agree with some of uh, Honorable Kachalia's sentiments. I, I do believe we do need uh, uh, to get a, a proper legal opinion on the on the court judgment, uh, among other reasons being uh, that you would remember that in terms of our constitution, it allows a government to to to, to pass legislation uh, which deviates from the equality clause uh, for purposes of redress. Uh, which is what I believe uh, would have uh, been part of the reason why you had the, the, this piece of legislation in the first place. So we need to also find the, 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 that legal opinion in terms of how does the legal the judgment affect this piece of legislation and the purpose it was uh, it created for. Uh, the other issue I want to speak to is this of, of, of uh, localization uh, vis-a-vis industrialization uh, when it comes to local content. Uh, you will appreciate that ESCOM and uh, Transnet, uh, in part, they are more especially ESCOM. It's a, ESCOM is an engineering company. Uh, they should be able to locally deal with the bulk of the challenges that we have. And we are somehow not doing that. Uh, You would also understand that uh, Transnet has an engineering company, uh, a wing, uh, Transnet Engineering, uh, which currently is is the largest employer of of engineers uh, in terms of their staff complement nationally. we need to also look at how are we using these skills if, if, if we are using them adequately or not. And how does this fit into the local procurement and localization uh, uh, debate? You would remember, Chair, that we used to have ESCO, uh, which produced uh, the bulk of, of steel that we used uh, for, for our rail networks, but we don't have that anymore. Uh, there's a plant right here in the Western Cape, close to Sultana Bay. It, 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 it's deserted. There's no productivity happening there. And now that you are going to have to deal with the issue of rail uh, being stolen, we will have to look at how do we source tea. Most probably we'll import uh, from Australia or, or, or some other country. But we do have uh, the capacity to produce. Uh, maybe it's not there anymore, but it used to be there. Uh, now, we need to remember the previous uh, uh, parliament uh, had started a process to, to review and evaluate if the laws that are being passed uh, serve their purpose. Uh, I'm not too sure if that has since uh, fallen by the wayside or it's still a discussion on the table because had we had that discussion concluded and had the, 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 the findings of that type of an inquiry, it would help us to, to, to 
discuss this uh, better from an informed point of view, factoring a whole lot of issues. Remember, uh, there are there are some critics of this of this public procurement preferential procurement uh, framework uh, in terms of it being competitive, whether it's fair or not. It, it, there, there are too many debates for and against, right? Because ultimately, it boils down to to, to price, and it doesn't create space for uh, emerging contractors in the greater scheme of things. Because ultimately, they will compete with the well-established uh, uh, companies on price. Because the 80, 20, 90, 10 really doesn't cover much. That's the one argument. Uh, but it's, it's an ongoing debate. Uh, I think, Chair, uh, I will, I will, I will, I will stop there. Thanks, Chair. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Jamini, for your contribution. Let's go to Honorable Maude. Honorable Maute, are you there? Uh, allow me then to go to Honorable Malinga. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Greetings to yourself, members of the Portfolio Committee, and all presenters on the platform, Secretariat from Parliament, and everybody else. Chairperson, I think Honorable Lamini has covered me on the issue of the, um, the court judgment. Chair, I, I just want to check, Manguchi, how do we lose uh, such court bids when we have uh, the state attorney? Because I'd like to believe SOEs, government departments, when they pass a legislation or any bill, the state attorney has to be involved, come on board and advise whether this bill will fly or not. That is my first question, Chair. The second one, Chair, I think uh, I got one. Maybe I should start by apologizing that I logged in late. We are being load reduced. It's not load shedding, Chair. This thing is that is done by municipalities called load reduction. So I was suffering from that. Um, the first presenter that uh, was presenting on challenges on, on procurement, I think she presented something like emergency procurement. Uh, I think she was on, on advertising in December. I did not get clear, chairperson, clear explanation on what is a emergency procurement. Take, for example, a municipality, there is a pipe burst, and municipal employees cannot fix that pipe. They need to procure. Is Do, do they consider that an emergency procurement? Because the, the, the reasons given for not um, advertising bids in December is that companies are closed and all that and all that. Can they consider that an emergency? when maybe there is a pipe burst at the municipal level which supplies water to the community and all that, and maybe that municipality does not have the expertise skill. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Malinga. 
May we go to Honorable Isaac? Honorable Isaac. Chairperson, hi, good morning, thank you. Uh, Chairperson, I've been covered by the previous question, so I will not want to duplicate it, but I thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Chairperson. Okay. Uh, may we go to uh, Honorable Komani? Honorable Komani? If not present, then we go to the the real chair, um, Honorable Magata. Thank you, thank you, Honorable Jefferson. Uh, perhaps I would like to take the presenters to the main objective where we come from, actually, with this old issue. Uh, though. Honorable Kumet and Honorable Kashali are trying to, to cover me. Let me also add uh, the real reason that make us as members of this community to be concerned is more to do with the state-owned entities, especially those that are under the Department of Public Enterprises. And we feel very strong that central to their collapse, these entities, is precisely because of the, I don't want to say the poor because it's not the, 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 the lack of considering the importance of public, public partnership. I think that's what uh, we, 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 we feel very strong that it has contributing factor on the state of these entities. These entities are not working uh, as they are supposed to do while they are all supposed to be the state-owned entities. But when it comes to their operation, they operate as if they are totally independent and uh, with no particular objective. I'm sorry. <coughs> the CEO, the GCO, of uh, Transnet uh, mentioned in the last meeting that Transnet was discouraged by, from using the CSIR uh, directly and was forced to go on a competitive bid process. And the, also the main cause of this failures to us exactly around those issues that, that is, is, is because the entities are operating on silos. They are operating as if they are not having a common objective. For example, the DNL has uh, as an advanced manufacturing and industrial capabilities. However, the state departments are unable to leverage on such capabilities due to competition laws. And that's also our problem. Um, the, 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 the procurement processes are not compelling any state-owned entities to procure from the state-owned entities while they are state-owned entities. The spirit or the, the, the conscious 
of a developmental state, of advancing public-public partnership. It's not there. The second example is Transnet Engineering. It has a capability to manufacture trains. However, we continue going abroad <coughs> for plaza-related needs. You know, those are the problems that we have. Why can't as, uh, the state-owned entities collaborate to advance the developmental objective of the state? Are we still building this state capability, uh, capacity for a development state, or do we operate to advance global capital to benefit at our detriment as a South African state? What is really happening here? Those are the main objective of us having to call the, 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 the Department of uh, Trade and Industry Corporation to help us to understand really whether are we really interested to build the capacity of these uh, uh, entities or we also in a way, because corruption took place there, therefore they have to die. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I think I've exhausted the list I have. Uh, before I'm taking it back to uh, the presenters, may I then um, ask a, a few questions if it's not comments uh, the, the presenter Tebeoho has uh, spoken about the the exemptions as well as the uniformity i completely perhaps i'll say i'm worried about the exemptions as well as the possible lack of uh, uniformity, especially on what this is doing uh, when the 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 the, 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 the triple PFA was declared invalid. My understanding is it started bringing in a scenario where there was a kind of a, a distribution of powers and entities were given uh, the authority to a degree the SOEs or SOCs were in fact even given the right to kind of object. But uh, Deboche says, if there is a challenge because of that exemption, uh, the constitution is there. I just want to make one reference to that. Uh, these SOEs were looted, looted seriously. Many of them, if not all, they are just crawling. The constitution was there. If the constitution were saying that is supreme, no one can do anything different 
to the uh, constitution, then it will mean those people that looted wouldn't have done anything wrong against the constitution. Moreover, if you read the, the state capture report, it tells you that many of the executives and some of the board members were the engineers of the state looting. And some of the things we may perhaps take them very light. And it's possible as well that some other people who still further the objectives of uh, the state capture are part of the executives, if not still members of the board. So I'll be happy. I'm not sure how are we going to reverse a situation when the act is passed and all things go back and everyone follow the, the act rather than those powers are left with all those in the uh, different people which in fact will bring that lack of uniformity as you have articulated there is secondly this uh, the, 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 the 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 i'm sure that it was in the absence of uh, the triple pf that the accounting officer was the one who was going to have the supreme authority. But I had uh, Astella, yes, I think it was the presenter. Uh, in fact, there was a little bit of a concern that uh, the national, um, uh, 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 national treasury, in fact, from me, from what I read, was going to get the information after the month, right? When all things have happened, there is no way that some of the things could be properly scrutinized. But I wanted just to ask, who could be or who is this um, accounting officer? It could be any person from the SOEs, or it could be any other, if I may be perhaps enlightened, who is the accounting officer in this instance. Not unless we talk to the powers that may be, but those are my concerns in the presentations that have been forwarded. Thank you very much for that. May I then uh, give it back uh, to the presenters? But I've noted as well the comment made um, um, by, um, I can't remember, that uh, in fact, if the department is present, would they like to comment now before we give uh, the presenters the opportunity to respond or they would like to make comments? Oh, it was you, Chair, that made that comment. That in fact, I also, I also did the uh, chair Hukanazi. I also did. Okay, I'm also very did. Yeah, thank you very much. The from the department. Thank yes. you. So please then, uh, may we get at least a comment? It's either they come at the end or they come 
before the presenters, we would like to hear them saying something about this kind of a, a situation. I think um, uh, Honorable um, uh, um, Jamini has narrated some of these things, which are, in fact, all of us, in fact, we have said very sensitive things here, which, in fact, are saying we need to come closer to the situation so that we understand the assertion by Honorable Mkwanazi that we need to meet much more often on matters of this nature is in fact a fact. So we rely on the Sang, the Chair, and perhaps the, the Whip to make sure that these things are brought to us so that we digest and be in a position to strengthen our oversight as, a, 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 as the committee. So if ever there is anyone from the department, from the DPE, may I get a comment uh, from them whether they will come uh, at the end or they would like to come in now. They may chip in now, that's still fine, or they can come at the end. But being the principal of the whole thing, they must say even if, if it means coffee, that will be excellent to us. So may I get a comment from them, please? Okay, Chair from uh, the National Treasury. Um, I, when I went through the comments that were made, a lot of them were statements. Uh, but in, in connection with Ms. Um, Malinga's question around emergency procurement uh, and the definition thereof, and what about burst pipes around the period of um, uh, the closure of businesses over the festive period, um, the, the definition of uh, emergency procurement, and I'm just going to read it verbatim, um, emergency situation means a serious and unexpected situation that poses an immediate risk to life, health, property or environment which calls for urgent action and there is insufficient time to follow a competitive bidding process. So in this case, the example that was mentioned about a burst pipe in the middle of December will definitely be um, complying to the definition of emergency. So we should not, um, we should not uh, confuse emergency with uh, not issuing open competitive bids during the, the festive period. What we are saying is that emergency can happen anytime and the accounting officer makes that decision uh, depending on the severity of the emergency, um, where it then um, where it is going to have an impact on on risk, health, life, property, or in or the environment, and where there's not enough time to issue a bid. Um, the issue about uh, cautioning departments not to issue new tenders for which was planned over that period is that we have seen over the years that tenders that were issued during that period and it closes, say, for example, on the 7th 
and the company only opens on the 8th, they would have missed that tender. And then there's a whole legal battle um, for not uh, being able to tender during that period because companies were closed and they did not see the tender going out over that period of time. So it's more a caution, but it shouldn't be um, confused with what emergency procurement is. Emergency procurement is totally totally different and separate and under very specific uh, circumstances that that happens. Um, then in terms of who the accounting officers are or the accounting authorities uh, by Mr. Gumedi, Honorable Mr. Gumedi, um, in terms, and I think maybe Leander can help me here, um, if I'm not correct, accounting officers are usually the heads of departments, the director generals of a department, provincial or national. And in terms of um, public entities, the accounting authority would be the board. Um, and Leander, just help me out here. Is it also the, the CEO of the company? Oh, and sorry. Sorry, um, colleagues. Um, yes, it's the board. The accounting authority is the board. And that's what the PFMA speaks to in terms of public entities. Um, but sometimes what they may do is delegate some responsibilities to the CEO. But in terms of, so there's a distinction between accounting offices, and that's in the um, departments, government departments. But in your entities, we talk to accounting authorities. And that's whom the power is usually vested in. But it doesn't mean that they cannot delegate in in accordance with the delegation framework. Thanks, colleagues. Yes. So in order, um, the proposals that the SOCs made in most cases is that they want to quarterly report on, on these issues of deviations, expansions, and um, extensions of contracts, where we are asking that if in cases of um, deviations, it be reported within 14 days after the transaction. And uh, with regards to variations on existing orders, on existing contracts, that they report that monthly so that we can proactively uh, intervene where we are seeing a clear um, malfeasance or clear uh, misunderstanding of, of prescripts or whatever the case may be. Um, Chair, I didn't see any other specific questions unless I didn't understand it. Um, to me, it was more um, statements that were made and not questions to be answered. Unless um, I see Leander's got her hand up, maybe she can add. If I may, through you, Chair. Um, good morning, honourable members. I, I just wanted to also, I think, agree with what some of the members have been saying regarding the time frame uh, and, and the time constraints in terms of this meeting, because I do think um, that issues, it, it would have been nice. I think Treasury in our presentation did refer to the judgment, but didn't really um, get the opportunity to reflect on 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 our understanding of it, um, because I think um, whilst it was a lengthy judgment, there are some very pointed paragraphs 
um, which tend to, to, to indicate um, the reasoning of the court. And I think it's, it's because of that reasoning as well that even the, the draft regulations went the way they did. But I think it must never be um, confused or, or, you know, with the fact that um, as, as a treasury, we still believe, we don't believe that the judgment has thrown out um, certain issues, you know, regarding, for example, um, protection and advancement of, of categories of persons who were previously disadvantaged by unfair discrimination or has thrown out um, the concept of local production and content. Um, what the judge merely was saying, and, and that's, again, I think just talk, talking to the comment, I think by, um, it might have been Honorable um, Malinga as well, about, you know, sort of how, how do we lose judgments um, when there are state attorneys, et cetera. And I think, um, you know, the, the reality is sometimes as many lawyers as there are in a room, there would be different opinions. And the same actually even happened with the judgment. You'll notice that it was a 4-5 split. So even the judges at the constitutional court level um, disagreed in terms of their view of that. But except to say that for a long way into the judgment, they actually agreed with each other, except on the pivotal point where they said that um, they don't believe the impugned regulations to be going against the constitution. All that they said was because of what section 2.1 of the triple PFA says, it was not the minister's place to make those regulations. So, and, and hence, even looking at, because regulations are subordinate legislation to the act, it would then be important that the regulations cannot introduce provisions that are not provided for in the act. So even, so what the judges were saying is that if the minister felt that institutions are not doing what they're supposed to do, it wasn't his place to take away their right and make law on their, make policy on their behalf. What he should do is look at other legally cognizable means to achieve the same goal. And that is to uh, possibly looking at changing the legislation. So, and I must also acknowledge that indeed the triple PFA um, has been found to be somewhat of an impediment to, to meaningful transformation. And that is why there's the development of the, the public procurement bill um, that, that's underway to look at a menu of options and a more meaningful way to, to give effect to some of these things. But in the meantime, as long as the triple PFA is still law, so it was not the triple PFA that was declared invalid, it was the preferential procurement regulations made there under. So as long as that is still law, in the meantime, the regulations have to then match with that. So um, <clears throat> I think it was just that point. And, and in terms of the constitution, just lastly, um, the constitution, as, as Dr. Makube said, is the, the supreme law of the land. And the constitution does provide for those five principles, but it also says, you know, notwithstanding subsection one, nothing prevents an organ of state from implementing a policy, you know, that refers to categories of preference and your protection and advancement. But the challenge is that even in the constitution, it constrained the way in which institutions may implement um, those uh, that preference policy by saying that national legislation must prescribe the framework. So in other words, that policy that institutions apply has to be applied in the context of national legislation. But where the national legislation does not exist, it would be that is the difficulty. How do then how do organs of state then apply that? And that is why in the meantime, while the, while National Treasury is getting clarity from the Constitutional Court, 
And while institutions have been granted exemptions so that they can continue their service delivery um, requirements, um, one of the other mechanisms at least that they can consider in implementing their policy is what is contained in the BEE legislation in section 10. And so even when the judgment was given, um, the BEE Commission did issue a statement saying that they are not affected by the judgment in terms of preferential because there is that is a separate legislation and rightly so. It's governed separately and so they can then, and they've indicated that they will assist institutions in terms of, you know, how they can apply that in the meantime. So I, it's just, I just wanted to add those comments. Um, thank you, um, Honourable Chair and Honourable Members. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm not sure whether, uh, is it Miss or Madam Estella finished uh, her contributions? But uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I, I think that she did say uh, some of the things that in fact were commended or asked uh, in her section. She has responded to it. The, the only one was about the finalization of the triple PFA. When is it going to be finalized, decided, and then when do you think you may necessarily come back to us so that at least we get a bite of it? But uh, whilst we are still there, let, let, let's then give uh, uh, Mr. Deboho. Uh, an opportunity then to comment. Thank you very much for the, uh, Linda, thank you very much for highlighting because our understanding is that it was declared in, in valid. The understanding was it, it was the whole act, but it's an element of uh, the act that was in fact uh, declared or it could have been declared invalid on the basis of that uh, portion, but in the nutshell, not the whole act was in fact declared invalid. Thank you very much for that explanation. Can I then go to uh, Mr. Deboho? Uh, thanks, sir. Um, try to answer some of the questions um, raised and I'll ask my colleagues to add, uh, especially Ms. Pele on, on the work that we are doing in in the in the rail sector um yeah uh the the are questions raised on the exemptions um and the committee maybe just to explain to you that sometimes we use words interchangeably you know and we have tried working with the national treasure to explain what what exemption uh, means so the exemption that is covered in the presentation uh, relates to the lowering of minimum uh, thresholds for local content. So in a case where bidders cannot meet the, the minimum threshold for local production. So we, let's say the army is buying uniform, all right? And um, there is a particular fabric that cannot be met or cannot be manufactured in South Africa. So the minimum threshold for uniforms is 100%, meaning we do not 
uh, allow for the importation of the the uniforms or any other product um, in that um, case. So, but there are instances where, um, for security reasons, you know, certain fabrics cannot be manufactured in South Africa. So the procedure is that bidders must approach uh, the DTIC for exemption to import um, those materials. So that is one, um, you know, definition of exemption is in the context of local content. Uh, we have been trying to change the word, you know, to be specific that we relate to the lowering of minimum threshold local content. Then there is another form of deviation or exemption, which is the responsibility of the national treasurer, where for particular reasons, organs of state can approach the minister of finance uh, to be um, exempted from the from the requirements of the triple PFA. That is, I think, if I'm not mistaken, is it section five, Leander will assist of the triple PFA. That was happening. Section three. Or regulation, uh, section three. Section right? three, yes. Yes. That was happening before this judgment. Now, after this judgment, I know that the, the organs of state then are approaching the national treasury to be exempted from the triple PFA in order to um, continue uh, procuring goods and services. And that's where I'm putting in the, the dangers of non-conformity and non-uniformity in the procurement system, all right? So that's, that's the risk and I think is it member Malinga who has raised the issue that because we have quite a number of organs of state, uh, the risk is that each and everyone will decide on how to go to the market and how to allocate the contracts. So we have history of corruption in this country. So the need for legislation is for conformity as well as compliance and uniformity. So in the period that we find ourselves in, that's the risk we are having up until we come up with either another legislation or regulations to make sure that there is conformity in the system. That's, that's one issue. Um, and I think moving forward, um, Chair, so I'm, I'm, I'm now addressing the issue of public, public partnership that has been raised by the Chair of the Committee. It, it is true that you know it, it, there is a limitation, um, and the proper way to do it is that the legislation must address the 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 deviation in the context of organs of state procuring from other uh, from each other. All right. Um, currently, if you interpret the law, is that the procurement system must be competitive, and the constitution requires it that way. So if you then decide to procure from other organ of state without following um, the, the legislation, then you'll be transgressing that legislation. But then as government, it is important that we address that issue, either through maybe a section dealing with derogations, 
you know, on, on, on the basis of security, on the basis of public interest, that therefore organs of state can be empowered to procure from each other. But now it is a challenge. It's not only uh, in the rail sector. I mean, there is a contradiction previously. When SAA was in operations as public servants, we have been traveling to various countries or regions within the country. Um, you know, the way you buy tickets, it must be competitive, you know, so you can fly using another airline. But at the end of the day, we use the fiscal to bail out SAA, you know, so it's a contradiction from a public finance point of view. Now, that's why you need derogations, you know, from other associated legislation that the Com Competition Act or the Competition Police in order to protect uh, the capability of the organs of state. And I'm hoping that in the new legislation, the public procurement bill will have sections uh, dealing with derogations from the competition requirement because it's not always desirable um, to always follow um, competition to the latter. It is a standard practice to allow sections dealing with derogations especially for security reasons. I mean, you, um, in Europe, it's allowed. In the US, it, it's allowed. So I, I, I agree that we have to, to deal with that, including confinement. You know, we need legislation on confining um, tenders so that you, you don't always go to the market, even though you know that there are uh, other organs of state that can be capable of providing uh, the service obviously it must be at an affordable price. Yeah. So those are the I, the issues that I've noted. Um, I will ask Tandy to come in if possible on the rail issues. Thanks, Dr. Mokube. Uh, and through you, Chi, um, it's Tandy Pele from the DTIC. I think I'm partly covered by the response from Deborah uh, that says, in some strategic procurement in government, we have to be selective and purposeful on how we want to create the capacity to locally manufacture. I think Honorable Chi, uh, Honorable Member speaks of the capacity that has been created over time in Tasmanian engineering that we stand the risk of losing because of lack of uh, sufficient demand uh, to fit into the production line that we have built. Uh, honorable members would recall as part of the locomotive uh, program, there was a part of a, uh, packages that were dedicated towards uh, transmit engineering that really has assisted us to really create uh, capabilities in particularly in Goodisport, um and uh, a little bit in the Devon facility. Um, uh, Transcend engineering continues to be, a, I would say, an OEM in a work on build and maintenance. Uh, and to the extent that we were able to really collaborate on the, on the process new trains, I think we could have been able to create sufficient economies of scale that would have anchored the developments into uh, passenger trains going forward. Uh, although we have to acknowledge that at the back of the process of uh, uh, procurement, uh, they have built a state of an art uh, facility at Donato uh, that is uh, managed by the Kibela uh, Consortium, uh, which is really building the local, uh, the, the new trains in the in, in housing uh, um, uh, and really bringing in a lot of localization from a component level. 
But yes, I do agree. Uh, and I think this is a point that Debo made earlier on when he was presenting that in some strategic procurements or uh, fleets, we need scale, we need consistent demand in order to get the price right and be able to really develop these capabilities uh, locally. So often many of the SOCs, uh, I guess maybe to manage risks, um, they procure on an individual basis. And that does not really allow us to really one, standardize on the technologies uh, and be able to really develop uh, suppliers locally of scale that can really be a new frontier of our export uh, 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 competitiveness. So um, yes, there's a lot of room for um, a number of SOCs to collaborate, especially on common systems and components that they are buying. Uh, uh, so that we are able to really create the the, the right level of uh, production skills to justify some of the new investments that needs to be made in the domestic market to support both the build and the maintenance programs. And I think this is a lesson that we ought to be learning as we are talking about the just uh, energy transition uh, program, uh, where we uh, want to be procuring one a number of transmission uh, lines to connect the renewable uh, energy generation uh, that we are currently buying from the various IPPs. Uh, and, 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 and secondly, how we're going to be buying the IPPs going forward. Uh, for me, I think there's a, a lot of room where some standardization and synergizing what the bidders are bringing to the South African market uh, can be uh, uh, consolidated in order to create uh, uh, more uh, equitable way of localizing because we still need to get the price right. Uh, we need to ensure that we produce products of the right quality and whilst we be able to do that, scale is of uh, importance uh, to be dealing with some of the issues. So yes, indeed, uh, collaboration is uh, needed and I think I'm hoping that the colleagues from the DPE uh, um, can really talk uh, and give us some guidance on how can we work better together. I think we've got pockets where the partnership has really worked, but I think it requires a lot of scaling up and this to be a strategic thrust on how we really be developing um, our capabilities going forward. Thanks, uh, Dr. Mokoveni. Thanks, Chair, for the indulgence. Thanks, Chair. From you, Dr. Makube, is there anyone that wants to contribute from your side? Um, it's Stephen or it's anyone Steve. from the DTSC. Um, Chair, if I if I can come in, yes, please do. Thanks very much, Chair. Chair, just very briefly to respond to the um, the questions and comments from Honourable um, Kachalia. Um, Chair, when we when we engage with um, manufacturers in South Africa, um, our, our sense from them is that there's a great uh, level of confidence about their ability to compete and to provide products to uh, the South African consumer, to um, state departments, to organs of state at uh, uh, good prices, competitive prices, and um, of good quality. And, and so for us, Chair, what we find interesting is that if you think back to the World Cup in 2010, none of the buses that were used in the World Cup were actually produced in South Africa. Even though we had the capability to produce them, uh, they were not designated at the time. We didn't have a policy lever 
to force um, uh, organs of state to buy local. By the time the Ria Vea um, uh, bus uh, systems were being introduced, we had actually designated buses. And so many of the buses that you now see on the roads, whether it's in uh, in Cape Town, whether it's in uh, Gauteng, um, those Rehavea buses are, are um, in many cases made locally. So we can, we can produce many of the things that we consume and that the state buys, whether that's vaccines, Aspen in uh, Quebeja is now producing Africa's first uh, COVID-19 vaccine, um, whether it's anesthetics, whether it's autos, where the, uh, the Mercedes-Benz C-Class is one of only three uh, um, uh, production sites is actually in South Africa. Um, and we export the vehicle throughout the world. So um, in many cases, we have the capability to produce these products. Um, sometimes we uh, don't have the right tools um, to ensure that as government, we procure them. And um, for us, the, the, the real issue is if we want to address the 1.9% GDP growth that's forecast for 2022, or we want to address the, the over 40% unemployment rate, then we have to start procuring what we use um, from uh, local manufacturers so that we create the local jobs. Otherwise, every time we procure something that we import, we're simply exporting that job to China or to India or to the United States or the European Union. So it needs a, a slightly different um, approach to, to seeing state procurement as an important lever for local economic development, whether that's in, um, in uh, Kibeha, whether it's in uh, Gauteng, uh, but we're able to produce these goods. Uh, we just need state procurement to help us to ensure that we, we do buy them locally. Um, so I thought that was important just to make the point, um, uh, Chair, because I think also Honorable Glamini had asked the question about what is the role of localization and industrialization and you know, we, he, he alluded to uh, ESCOM. Um, as members will know, uh, we're on bid window number six at the moment for the renewable energy um, uh, partnership program. And the question is, we're going to procure uh, around about 45 to 50 billion rands worth of solar panels over the next few years. Now we can either procure them locally from the two uh, large solar manufacturers that we have operating in the country who have created jobs in South Africa, created investment in South Africa, or we can simply import them from uh, a range of uh, developed uh, countries and developing countries like again, China, India, uh, Germany. And, and for us, the, the argument is that if we want to create the jobs locally, then we have to use all of the policy levers available to us uh, to ensure that we buy local because we can produce the goods. Um, it's a matter of making sure that we, we put in place uh, all of the policy instruments to, uh, to really unlock those opportunities. So that's, that's all from, uh, from my side, Chair. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Stephen. Uh, you know what we are doing? Our weakness as government, our communication is very weak. We don't communicate enough. Some of the things we simply take them for granted that the people will know. I don't think that's a correct perception. All what we need to do you say it and you say it repeatedly so that people will know. If you've got those excellent kind of initiatives, 
That's what uh, I think it's Mkwanas that was talking about Dinel uh, as well as uh, Transnet. They've got all those capabilities. They've got all the experienced engineers. Why do, especially with Dinel, because there is this that we want to retain some of uh, the expertise within Dinel. Why can't we borrow some of these engineers? Let them go work there because if they are just idling, they won't in fact be in a position to demonstrate uh, the skills that they are having. But all what I'm saying here, yes, we hear you, but as government, let's make sure that we communicate and communicate enough that some other people may get saturated of those things. I know when we've got our own meeting uh, as a, 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 a committee, there are people that are very strong on in industrialization. They always ask industrialization, industrialization, industrialization. So those are things that, in fact, the good things, you don't keep quiet about them. At times, yes, bad, you may talk about them not as much as you may talk about good things. But anyway, thanks for that uh, comment. Otherwise, uh, if no one from the department, may I then um, allow okay. all... Yes? We have Mr. Bangani from uh, uh, Public Enterprises. His hand is up. Oh, no, I, I don't see the hand. Okay, that's fine. Um, uh, Mr. Bangane, you may come through. Uh, thank you, Chair, and uh, good afternoon to, to, the, to the honorable members, uh, uh, colleagues on the, on the call. Um, look, from the, the Department of Public Enterprise, I think we... We, we first approached, we were the first to approach the committee somewhere in March to indicate the, 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 the challenges around the procurement uh, space. Uh, if, you, if you look at DPE, uh, we are, we, because of the, of the SOCs, the, the issue of conforming with, with, the, with the, uh, the procurement policies is one, uh, and then uh, also uh, using the same procurement policies as levers to to drive industrialization. It's it's at the center of what we 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 doing in in, in uh, with regard to procurement conformance with the policy and uh, 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 leveraging the policies to drive uh, uh, policy. And the the issue of the, 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 for, the, for the SOC in particular, um, uh, the issue of, of irregular and uh, um, uh, yeah, irregular expenditure, let me just use irregular expenditure in this case, uh, in, in, in the area of conformance, uh, tends to be a big issue uh, 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 when things are not fully clarified, where they, the, the audit uh, outcomes tend to influence. Uh, uh, the outlook in terms of how the market is going to price them uh, in terms of when they go into borrow money in the market. So their, their audit uh, records tend to be affected. So we, we, we want to conform with the policy, but we, we needed help in that area to say uh, 
um, how do we deal with legacy issues uh, that continuously reflect in the books of the SOCs? So that's one part uh, uh, in terms of, 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 as we clarify the procurement policies, how do we, how do we uh, uh, sort of protect the SOCs going forward so that the issue of 10 years ago does not continuously affect the, 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 the outlook uh, for, for the SOC. But on the, on the, on the leveraging, leveraging side in terms of industrialization, actually we, we, we as a DPE, we, have, we, are, we are working very hard to, to make sure that the SOC are part and parcel of this, of this journey of localization and industrialization. Uh, uh, the issue of developing local suppliers that can uh, uh, what called be embedded in the relationship with the SOC going into the future. But not only that, to also develop them to such an extent that they can independently supply to, 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 to other markets locally and, and abroad. So supplier development as part of leveraging the procurement levers to support industrialization. And in, in fact, uh, also bringing people who were excluded before in the supplier development uh, process uh, uh, program. Um, the issue of people with disability, the people, uh, uh, women, uh, women-owned business, youth-owned businesses. Those are some of the things that we're trying to drive through the 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 the, 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 the procurement uh, what called levers. So it's at the center of what we're doing uh, in in the area of industrial uh, and uh, or localization and industrialization. It's 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 critical from the point of view of DPE. So the issue of on the issue of Denel. Uh, um, uh, when I read the, the brief uh, earlier, um, the issue of designation of uh, ammunition and small arms in particular, uh, it, that's a very critical issue uh, because we have the capacity both at Denel and in the private, uh, what do you call it? Uh, in private in private uh, companies locally that can produce uh, small arms they can produce denel uh, uh, can produce small uh, what call uh, ammunition but the fact that it's a it's 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 competitiveness fair price so we we tend to be buying from all over the world affecting our own capacity uh, uh, um, uh, which is now as at, at a subcritical level as we speak. So the, the, the National Defense Industry Council, which is chaired by the, by the Secretary for Defense, has a subcommittee that is looking at, at that is collating uh, uh, the information that's required to approach the DTIC and National Treasury to designate small arms and ammunition. As, 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 as items that can be, pro- or that should be procured locally. So this, there is an, a, 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 an effort from that point of view to get things uh, uh, localized uh, from, from a, a defense uh, point of view. Uh, the, you see the issue of, the issue of uh, using uh, imported 
products versus local product. It must also be seen from the point of affordability for the state. I mean, if you're going to maintain your uh, as a transnet, for example, system, the transnet system through a dollar-based uh, 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 maintenance system, it's not affordable. As far as possible, the maintenance uh, 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 budget for these SOCs should be in rent terms. Then it, the affordability is, 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 uh, is somewhat uh, um, uh, uh, managed from that point of view. But if we're going to not protect the economy by always using dollars to, to service uh, the infrastructure, the, the, uh, it's, it's going to be a, a huge challenge going forward. So uh, uh, this, uh, this conversation is quite very important from the DPU point of view, and we, we agree that it should uh, uh, be a continuous conversation as we refine, as we look at, uh, look into clarif- clarifying the, the system of, of procurement and simplifying it for everyone to understand it the same way uh, 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 we, we all want it to be understood. So it's a very important uh, uh, conversation, Chair, and uh, DPE will 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 gladly be be, be a, 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 a very interested partner in this uh, in this conversation. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you for your uh, presentation and comment. At least we can solidly say. DPE was leading or is leading, whatever. But at least because you came in Bangane and you represented the, the DPE, that's wonderful for us to get that. Okay, uh, Bangane was, uh, I, I don't I, I see a hand here. I'm not sure whether it's a, a legacy hand. Oh, oh no, now it's going. Okay. Let's uh, let's then, because we are about at the tail end of our meeting, uh, before and, uh, is there anyone that wants to speak? Yeah, yes, Chair, I have my hand up. Diego? I have my hand up, Chair. Yes, I'm, I'm listening. Okay, uh, Chair questions which remain unanswered and need addressing. One is on the procuring of an independent and impartial legal opinion. Uh, uh, So the question is, how and when can we move on this? And if we can move on it. And second is on the need to address the current crisis in our SOEs in line with the Constitutional Court's findings in terms of procurement, which will assist these SOEs to manage the crisis they face as a first priority. Now, with regard to to, to policies for localization and industrialization, will the constitution still, the question is, will the the constitution, uh, the considerations uh, still be in line with the constitutional court's precepts based on the five pillars? Now, this also underscores the need for inform clarity on the court's rulings to resolve views which are currently at variance, especially with other aspects of uh, of, of the Constitution's uh, applicable, uh, 
applicability to this. Now, of course, there are divergences of views, but there's no way around this. The court makes a ruling. If there is divergence of views, the only way to deal with that is to get legal clarity impartially and independently to assess that with a view to ensuring that we don't open ourselves to legal challenges. So that's what I'm pushing and pressing for. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, any, let, let's say, uh, okay, it's a legacy hand. Uh, drop drop your, your, your hand then, uh, Honorable Kuchalia. Um, we have a commitment at uh, one o'clock uh, so please, can I allow anyone to try and respond to those outstanding questions? And then we go to the minutes and then we come with the way forward. Please, is there anyone who can respond on the questions that were omitted, raised by uh, Honorable Kachalia? Yeah, it's double Yes, Debs. Yes. Uh, let me attempt to answer uh, on the question pertaining to um, the legality of um, local content policies or localization. Uh, I, I must state up front that um, local content per se was never uh, litigated. Um, even in the original case, you know, uh, by by Afriforum or now Sakilicha. Um, it is unfortunately affected for the reasons that the Constitutional Court uh, said that the entire regulations are invalid. And so if you read Regulation 8 or Section 8 of the 2017, uh, regulations, then uh, it, that is on local content. And therefore, um, it's unfortunate that the empowering provision to support localization, it's also out because of that judgment. Now, the issue is how do we then move forward? You know, um, and, and the court is very clear that the responsibility to implement preferential procurement policy resides with organs of state. You know, as it is now, we don't have this empowering provision legally. Uh, one option is then for us to engage the organs of state to implement local content through their SCM policies. Now, we, we have read the constitution, the triple PFA, as well as the regulations, what we wanted. So if you read the triple PFA, uh, section 21D of the triple PFA uh, requires organs of state to, or it says that it may, organs of state may invoke the RTP goals, all right? So that is there in the triple PFA. Now the RTP is not uh, theoretically different from the national development plan, meaning that we want to scale up economic growth um, and also transform the, the, the economy. And it is our view that 
the legislation does provide um, the, the, the space for the government to still continue um, implementing localization using um, the the triple PFA and that is section two one, all right. Uh, and also, if I think is section, um, I'll tell you now. Um, there is a section in the triple PFA that is section two e. It, it it also states that organs of state can indicate any other specific goal that it wants to achieve in the tenders all right so that is another opportunity of specifying any other specific goal and it can be local production you know so there is legislation where it becomes a problem is when the organs of state are being then exempted from the triple PFA. That's where the gap, the policy gap is, because then we rely more on the SCM policies. So procedurally, it means that organs of state must adopt the SCM policies and include uh, those conditions to support uh, local production. Um, and as the DTIC, we 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 do have a legal opinion. We sought a legal opinion on this, uh, and obviously we must follow all the protocols. If it has to be shared, the minister must give an approval. But uh, the policy space to still continue supporting uh, local production is there. The court didn't make any ruling whatsoever that um, uh, local content and industrialization are unlawful. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Debs. Um, let's then say, because I want to release you now, um, but the, 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 I think all of us who have expressed a sentiment that we need to be closer to you uh, so that uh, whatever is happening, we are closer and whatever is updated uh, and your engagements with the SOCs, those are the things that we are saying we want to sort of uh, keep them flying so that we always try and do the right thing, push it and uh, get the right information so that at least we get some SOEs uh, perhaps moving, perhaps in the right direction. May I then suggest as a way forward that from here, uh, I want to give it to the secretary, that the, the secretary through the interaction with the DPE, uh, because Bangani was around, uh, it's difficult to say Bangani interact. It's better that I go through, I go via the secretary, who in fact will interact with the department, and then whatever transpires, because there are a few things that they have been raised, so that we see as a, a committee, when next do we want to meet with you? 
but it mustn't be the committee or the department. Even on your side, if there are things that you may wish or want to share with us, we are always welcoming and open to say, let's have a session and talk about these things. It's a real concern. I must say our weakness as SOEs, in fact, one can simply say, are destroying the country. So if jointly we can really try and solidify that and make sure that we create a concrete path that will see all the SOEs mushrooming, doing the work that are skilled for. I think all of us and even the country will be happy. So from today, for, for this meeting, interact with Desang, uh, who in fact will interact with the, get the mandate from the DPE, and then we kind of uh, move forward. Thank you very much for your input. Uh, it was very much informative and it left us with quite a lot of uh, heavy head in a sense. So we'll see when we come next as to how we move further. I think all officials will then be released, but uh, the sun will remain behind because we'll be considering some minutes and then we close the meeting. Desang, may I then hand it over to you? But all others you, are Chair. then set free. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Yeah. Thank you very much to you as well. Thank you so much. Uh, Desang? Thank you very much. Um, I've only got one set of minutes. It's the minutes of the 18th. Uh, why is it dealing with me now? Okay. Is it clear, Chair? Hey, nothing is clear here. You, you, the first one, but it, is, it, it, it hasn't been... Uh, you've got a list of minutes, yet it's highlighting the 18th, but not the minutes. Okay, okay. It should be clear now. It's fine. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry for the delay. Uh, okay. It's just meeting the meeting that adopted the budget board report that, that took place on the 18th of May, 2022. Um, these are the members who were present, and the apologies, including staff that was present, opening remarks, 
and then the consideration of the of the draft budget vote report uh, with the inclusion of the the objection from the economic forum fighters and the democratic alliance and then uh, the amendment that were made by the members of parliament uh, number three basically deals with the draft minutes that we also adopted on that particular day thank you chair uh, thank you may i have a mover and a seconder please uh, thanks, Chair. It's Honorable Mpanazi. I move for the adoption of the minutes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, any seconder? Honorable Lamini seconds the, the, the motion. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Lamini. Uh, having completed items that appear on the agenda, may I be allowed to then uh, adjourn the meeting? Uh, for further deliberation at uh, our next meeting. The meeting then stands adjourned. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Have a safe day, a wonderful day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Mgoni. Chair, have a nice trip. Whatever you'll be doing, please do remember us. Record.